want to thank our worship team this morning for uh, music and um, I guess to get you guys moving we've got to do some more Beatles stuff. Uh, <laughs> so uh, all you need is love. Um, I had to go look in the history books to know about this song because I think I was three when it came out. Um, but it was 1967. What were you doing in 1967? That was part of the time of what was called the, the summer of love. And it was, uh, you know, I didn't really experience that because I was three. We were in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma, we, I think we called that long-haired hippie music or something like that. Um, we didn't really pay attention too much to that. But in 1967, that song came out, and you know, it was it was went number one. It went number one in America, as in the UK and other places. It's considered one of the the Beatles' top songs. And there's a lot of things musically that go on it that I don't really understand. That are it's more than just the simple lyrics. But the message is this: that you can do just about anything. You can do anything, whether it's a writing a song or you know, doing some incredible work as long as uh, you have love. All you need is love. And so I wanted the uh, band to, to sing that today because um, you know, having been married to Cheryl for so long, I never really get to tell her this very often, but, but you know, what you sang was wrong. You were wrong, okay? <laughs> wrong, 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 okay? That all, all you need is, is not love. Love is important. Love is essential. We've been talking about that here, um, and especially when we talk about God's love. But it's not everything. In fact, the, the lyrics of that song that say you can do anything with love then has this little thing that you know, we didn't sing, which is, it's easy. It's easy. Well, maybe they meant simple, but it's not easy. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, you know, all this talk in, in um, 1 John about the importance of, of God's love. We've been talking about that. But sometimes when we talk about that, we forget something. And, and we like to over-categorize John as, as the, you know, the apostle of love. And we forget something. And it's so easy in our world to, to, to want to leave this thing behind and just just focus on love because, you know, that's all we really need. That's all that really matters. And as a result, many people, you know, that are looking for peace, they're looking for love, they're looking for, for, for just the good things that, of this world that hold us together, they're willing to do so even if it means compromising truth. They're willing to compromise truth for peace. They're willing to compromise truth for what they consider love. It's a problem. And the problem is because a couple of things we've talked about here. When we talk about God's love, we talk about it, the standard is so high. The standard is so, so far beyond us that Christianity admits up front it is impossible it is impossible on your own to love the way God loves. You cannot 
make that standard. You can try, and frankly, if you're not going to become a Christian, I would rather you try to love like God loves than not. You can try, but you cannot. It is impossible. The standard is too high. The standard is, it's, it's all the time perfectly loving. Let me say it again. It's all the time perfectly loving everyone. Any of you who thinks you can do that, either do not understand what love is, or you don't know, understand what all the time is, or you don't understand what everyone is. It is impossible. And that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity says, it's impossible on your own, but Jesus makes it possible. Before it to be possible, it comes back to faith. And it's not just faith, it's not just faith in whatever, or belief, or faith in yourself. No, we just told you, don't have faith in yourself. If you have faith in yourself, you're going to try to do an impossible thing. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the truth of who He is and what He came to do. That's what John is doing. He's continuing to try to discern between true and false teachers. And, and in the passage we're going to look at today in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, he starts out by saying, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. As soon as you see that, as soon, you know, we've just seen all of these, um, the, these words. He's talked about love. And, and last week, you know, I even said that love is the evidence. Love is the evidence. But when he says test the spirits, you might think that, that he might be saying, hey, you know what we should do? We should have some kind of love test. Why don't you test their love? But he doesn't say test their love. No. He says to test what they believe. Test what they confess. Now, this doesn't make sense to people who don't believe belief is anything more than what we have in our head and truths that we hold. But if you are following what the Bible says, that's not you. If you follow what the Bible says, it says when we believe truth, when we believe the truth of Jesus Christ, we are changed. We are made new. We are no longer our own. It's a big difference. Because otherwise, if you just read this like a lot of Christians and sometimes you know, and the world reads it, you would be like, okay, I believe what I believe. And so what you're saying is, over time, my beliefs will modify my behavior. That's what you're saying. And that's not what I'm saying. That's not what John is saying. What John is saying is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are made new in that moment. You receive the Spirit in that moment. You can love in a way you could never love before in that moment. So he says, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the church knows this. They, as we read earlier, some people had actually left their, their, their church 2,000 years ago. They were having this problem with false teaching, and people had left. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So he says, test the spirits. The, the word he's using there for test is the same word that was used to like test the metals in a coin. He's saying test the spirits. And when he says spirit, you know, we, you know, we kind of think about something else. You know, we talked about this on Wednesday night when we did our Bible study. But he's, he's really pointing at not them as people, but he's like, what are they, what are they believing? What, what, is, what is their motivation? What are they, what are they, what's inside of them? So we're going to test that. Because from the outside, you can't tell. Remember, in this, in this early church, you know, they, they, they had been together for a long time. They knew each other. They, some of them were probably really respected members of the community. But when their beliefs were tested, they didn't measure up. So, He's, he's saying, you test it. You see different coins. Do you know which one is real? Do you know which one is pure? You can't really tell from the outside unless they're tested. And so he says, test. Test. You know, there's, there's this problem sometimes that we have too with people that say, you know, I, I believe the truth. And they do. They believe the truth. But, but they, only, they don't really understand the truth. They really believe it, but they don't really understand it. And the only time they really need to understand it is if they think something goes wrong. And we all can be that way. You know, like when you get your new laptop or TV or phone, you know, when you first get it, if you press power and it comes on, everything's good. You don't need to understand even how the remote works. You don't need to understand how your computer works. You don't need to understand how your phone works as long as it is working okay. But then you start caring about how it works when it's not working properly. And that's how a lot of us are. We, we're like, hey, as long as everything seems to be going okay in life, as long as everything seems to be okay in, in my church or in my Christian life, whatever, I'm okay. I don't really need to know anything else. And then something goes wrong. And at that point, it's really hard to try to learn all the things that you should have known before in the middle of a crisis. It can cause all kinds of problems. Um, you know, I've been spared from doing serious damage to my cars, but, you know, for most of my life, you know, as long as the car worked, then I knew how to put in gas and 
make sure the tires were aired up and change the oil. You know, and if then all of a sudden something goes wrong, I don't know how to fix it. Well, of course, if I'm in a good, safe place, I can ask somebody to come fix it. Or I can t have it taken to a shop. But if I use my little bit of knowledge to try to fix it, I may end up doing a lot more damage. Because now I need to understand it. Now I need to get to work, and my car's not working. So I should be able to fix it. It really doesn't work that way. And we, as, you know, this drive to being a healthy church and being a church of disciples, we need to be people who are constantly learning more and more about the truth that we hold. And so what does this text tell us? Well, a few things. First of all, it says who we are, who we are depends on what we believe about Jesus. Who we are depends upon what we believe about Jesus. It's connected. It's not just a belief that's over here. And it's really not just a magical thing either, as I'm going to try to explain a little bit in a, in a moment. It's not just a magical thing, I believe this, and then this happens. There is a sense of that, that, that we just said, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are changed, we are transformed. But there's an, another part about how our beliefs affect what we believe and how we interpret Scripture. And why is he talking about Jesus has come in the flesh? Well, because that was one of the issues with the false teachers. The false teachers, remember, there's some form of early, kind of primitive, what was called Gnostics. And one of their beliefs was that 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 you had the spiritual world which was good and the material world which was evil. That was their belief. And that they couldn't come together. And so they, 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 they separate them. And so if that were the case, they couldn't see how the Son of God, spiritual and good, could really become flesh. And because of that, you know, they, they were teaching something else. We're not 100% sure what they were teaching we're pretty confident they weren't teaching that Jesus wasn't um, the Son of God. They had some other way of talking about how he was human. And they really couldn't accept that he was fully human. Well, John makes that clear. We, we have to get this right. We have to see these two things, that Jesus is from God. Jesus is from God and that Jesus has come in the flesh. As John wrote in his gospel, the Word became flesh. The Word which was with God in eternity and was God, this Word became flesh. In John's mind, this is what Jesus taught. This is who Jesus was. And so he's saying, this is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus is from God. He comes in the flesh. If you deny this, he's saying you're not really of, of Jesus. And there's, again, there's a reason for it. And this, again, this past Wednesday when we did a little Bible study to un unpack some of this, we went into 
this kind of theological background for this, and, and that is that in the Hebrew mindset, and of course then it becomes the Christian mindset, there's only two types of beings. There's created beings, and there's uncreated beings. Created beings, uncreated beings. Beings that have a beginning point, exist, and beings that have always existed uncreated. And the problem was for the, for the Hebrew people, only God and they con their conception of God was God was a single solitary kind of uh, almost you know, independent being. That this God was the only one that belonged on the uncreated side. And so when, when they you know, when they started hearing about Jesus, and they started hearing about this idea of the Son of God, and they started to experience the salvation that, that he was bringing to them, the early Christians, most of them who are Jewish, realize God as God the Father is not alone on the uncreated side. The Son of God is there too. And I don't you know, have time to unpack all of that for you, for you today. And so if your mind is swirling with, um, you know, Trinitarian and theological questions, um, come talk to me some other time, and I'll unpack it some more. But this is the idea. And part of this is from the whole expression, Son of God. Because as we've talked about here before, one of the biblical principles is that like begets like. That that the way things are is that if it's an apple tree, apples come out of it. If you have a dog, puppies. Like begets like. And so when they talk about Son of God, they're actually saying He's like God. He is of the same substance as God. So who we are depends on what we believe about Jesus. But you still might be going, I still don't get it. That's fine. A lot of people don't get it. But let me give you another thing that John is you know, implying here. Say it in a different way. A flawed view of Jesus. A flawed view. Wrong view. Incomplete view. Even slightly off. Will lead to a flawed view of salvation. A flawed view of Jesus will lead to a flawed view of salvation. By the way, the other thing is true too. A flawed view of salvation will lead to a flawed view of Jesus. What does this mean? How is this connected? Well, I'm not going to try to explain it all to you this morning, but I will tell you this. That history shows us that every group that believes that Jesus is a highly exalted creature or believes that he is just a man. Okay? Every single one, it's without fail, whether they're Christian or whether they're some kind of cult or even if they're, say, for instance, Islam. If you believe that Jesus is, is, is a awesome, you know, wonderful, great man, or he's the highest of all creatures, 
Your salvation is always based on human works. It always is. You can go all the way back to, to Arius in the 4th century, who's like the first guy that's really making you know, this big argument for Jesus being an exalted creature. You go all the way back there, and his salvation was about human works. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if Jesus is God, what hope do you have to follow his example? None. You can't follow the example of the Son of God unless somehow something different happened to you. So you need Jesus to be on the side of created. You need him to be that big, great, awesome, perfect example that we can follow. Now don't get me wrong. Jesus is a big, perfect, great example for us to follow. But as I said earlier, it's impossible. It's impossible. But everyone who has this flawed view of Jesus can, can hold on to a works, works view of, of how we are saved. That it is about us trying hard to become more like Jesus. And that's how we're saved. And it's happening in Christianity, by the way, in the, in the church today. And it used to be from the more progressive liberal, and it's now moving even into what might be considered moderate to conservative positions where more and more we focus on Jesus as a great teacher, Jesus as a great example, even if we might hold to beliefs that he's, he's the Son of God, all we really care about is what example does he provide for me to follow? And so more and more we, we accept a view of salvation that doesn't need Jesus to be. There's more and more a move to... to to just restrict Jesus to just being a historic figure. Because we like that. That is a very human way of developing religion. We like it. You know why we like it? Because it stretches us a little bit. It gives us an example. But it also gives us control. I, if I try hard enough, can be like Jesus. It's weird. It's weird. We sing songs that say, I surrender all. I give it all up to God. But all the while, we're trying to hold on. We want control. And it's a very, very human way of doing religion. We somehow want to control our world, control our chaos, control our system our culture. We're looking for some way to find control in our lives. And so we just basically take the part of Christianity that we think gives us that and leave the rest behind. You see, if, if Jesus, as the Bible tells us, is the Son of God, if Jesus is is made of the same substance of God. Salvation is very different. Salvation, first of all, becomes impossible from our side. 
But then it becomes an act of incredible love and grace from God's side as He makes the impossible possible. And He does it not just by snapping His fingers. He does it by coming and living amongst us and suffering and dying for us. changes everything. A creature Jesus, a human Jesus can only be an example, can only be a teacher. But divine Jesus, Son of God Jesus, who becomes flesh and, and, and dies for our sins and resurrects to show us the power, that Jesus can make us new. That Jesus can give us a new nature. That Jesus can give us, and we don't like to say this in Baptist circles, so I'm, I'm going to say it, but don't freak out. Gives us divine life. Who else can give God's spirit than God? You can't do it. I can't do it. Only God can give what is God's. Changes what salvation is. It's no longer human works. It's grace. It's faith. We, it's not just about following His example. We have to be made new. We have to be empowered so that we can follow His example. We need a divine Savior, not just a human one. And it's a flawed view, an incomplete view of Jesus that can lead to a flawed or incomplete view of salvation, which then, of course, means that that weakens us as a church. Because it weakens us as a church because now we are, we are just trying to do our best. We don't believe that God's Spirit can come together and, and, and do something far beyond our best. We don't believe that God's Spirit can overcome that other person in the church who's just a grouchy old curmudgeon. We don't believe that. We don't believe that person who seems so selfish and so you know, you know, ignorant of so many things. We don't believe God can do anything with them unless they just will work hard and we will all work hard. That's it. So if that's the kind of, of salvation we have and that's the kind of church we have, where should we go? We should try to find churches where everybody has got it all together. Nobody's hurting. Nobody's struggling. That's what we should do. Leads to all kinds of problems. It's all connected. What do we believe about Jesus? See, if I believe in, in, in Jesus as the Son of God and that, and that through faith in Jesus Christ that I am made new, then I also believe that about you. That you are made new. 
If I believe this is because of his abundant grace that he's poured up, out upon me, I believe he's also poured that grace out upon you. Everything changes. It's no longer about how much I work, how strong I am, how disciplined I am, how good I am. No, it's about God's grace. And it's his grace that I extend to you and you should extend to me. And grace becomes, becomes like the mortar that holds us together. That helps us as we're all at different places of our journey and some of us annoyingly young and some of us annoyingly old and some of us kind of in that middle period where we're kind of boring. You know, it holds us together as we walk and we struggle and we see different things. The, the new Christian who's like a child who's fascinated by a butterfly. We don't just say, come on, butterflies are so common. No, we have grace. Because we remember the time when we were fascinated by butterflies. And that person who's, who's struggling because, because they've, been in, they've been in the church for so long and, and things are, have been changing and they seem to be changing rapidly and, and, they, and they get so upset and they don't understand. We have grace for them too. It's a, it's a, it's a different faith. It's a different salvation. And what we find is that what John is trying to help us understand is what Paul says in Galatians 5-6. That nothing else matters except faith expressing itself in love. He's trying to help us understand what, what John is saying here. That, that true love, the source of true love, is right belief. It's faith in the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we all, like I've told you before, we're all heretics right now. But it's not, we're not like intentional heretics. It's just because, you know, we don't have enough knowledge yet or we're on the path of growing and learning. And that's fine. As long as we're on the path of growing and learning. That's one of the reasons John has issues with the teacher. Because the teacher... The false teacher is not just on the path of growing and learning and doesn't fully understand this stuff yet, but will someday. But the teacher actually believes they understand it and they're trying to teach others. And that's why he says, no, not with the false teachers. That's the thing, is if what we believe about Jesus is true, if what we believe that the Bible says Jesus is and what Jesus said he came to do, we will be changed. We will have new life. We will have life. We will have it more abundantly. We will have His Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. We will have fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. We will be changed. Love is not enough in that sense. We need faith and we need truth. It's one of the reasons I've told you that, that if you want to be a healthy church, we have to be a church of disciples because disciples are constantly learning more and more about the truth of Jesus Christ. And if you think you got it all, if you think you have 
all the truth there is to know about Jesus Christ and you understand it as well as possible, we will give you a graduation certificate and you no longer need to be a disciple. You can become, I don't know, master or something. We'll give you a title. But I'm not there, I'm not even close. And I'm assuming you don't think you are either. It's why we're disciples. The last verse there, I just want to mention, it says that the one who confesses this flawed view of Jesus says this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Now, as soon as we see the word Antichrist, those of you who've read the Bible, you immediately think of like, oh, end times and all this. That's really not what he's talking about. Instead, he's talking about this spirit that as more and more people in the world hear about this Jesus, or sometimes as he's called the Christus, when they, when they hear about him, they're going to have different views about him. And they're not going to be, he's the son of God. It's already, it's already out there, he says. It's, it's, it's growing. Now, most of you grew up in what was called kind of it's kind of not a great name, but it was called Christian America. And by Christian America, it, was, it never meant that all of Americans were Christians. But it meant that Christianity was, was kind of common in, um, in the United States. That, that people were, um, you know, that, that, that even if you weren't a Christian, you know, you knew the basic stories. You would have been... You'd have known who Noah was or Moses and things like that. That there is at least some kind of, of, of literacy. And, and the other thing is that you never saw anything that was like really in, in media, TV, movies, anything that was, that was negative about Christianity. You didn't see it. As a matter of fact, it was a surefire way to, to you know, get your TV show canceled or nobody watch your movie. Be negative. That's not the case anymore. It's not the case. More and more Christians and are depicted in TVs and, and television and movies. Their beliefs are talked about, discussed, sometimes criticized and ridiculed. And it's all this talk about who they think Christians are or who they think Jesus is. And it comes out more and more and more in our society. And you know what? It's not going away. More and more young people see things like a worship service like this portrayed in a light that they're, even make, they're either making fun of it or they're, talk, they're, they're picturing you as being a bunch of kind of stupid sheep who are just here and you're, you don't really think because you're not as smart as they are. You're not as enlightened as they are. More and more that that's coming. And so it, it was happening in John's day in the first century. It's happening even more in our time. This is what, this is what John says. And he's going to make this point stronger and we'll talk about it next week. But he says, 
you know the truth that is in you. You know the truth that is in you. Now, he didn't know you, so I'm not saying you, but he is saying, church, first century, who I'm talking to, you know the truth that is in you. Is it what you're hearing the world say? Now, let me just tell you, I fully expect people who are outside the church to misunderstand who Jesus is, what Christians are. And by the way, we get it wrong as Christians a lot of times. We're not like absolved of any you know, blame here. But here's the problem, is when the spirit of the Antichrist comes into the church, when it's people who consider themselves believers in Christ and their teaching or their living according to a different salvation and a different Jesus. That's the problem. And they don't have to, it doesn't have to be a huge difference. It can just sometimes be just a little difference. You see, what happens when we leave behind the Jesus who is the Son of God who became flesh, then we give in to what the world has decided is the only arbiter of truth. And the only arbiter of truth is what can be, can be proved through science. It's only true if it can be repeated or it can be observed. It's the only truth there is. And if that's the case, we leave behind any notion of the supernatural. And let me just tell you, you cannot really believe in the Jesus of the Bible and not believe in the supernatural. You cannot leave that behind. And I don't mean that every single thing in this world is, is supernatural. I mean, there's, as I've told you before, God chooses to work. His primary way of working is through, is through natural processes. But as Christians, we hold on to this category of the supernatural because it tells us about who Jesus is. And what we believe about Jesus is what we believe about salvation. It's in our identity. It's in our DNA. And so, I, like I said, I, I'm okay you know, if someone wants to just believe Jesus is a good man because I'd rather people try to follow Jesus' example than not. It's better. But it's not what the Bible teaches. What I would want those people to eventually conclude is that they cannot really follow Jesus' example in, in the real, true, thorough sense unless they have faith in Jesus Christ. And so love is not enough. We need love. But love is the result of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to have faith in who Jesus Christ truly is.